Sabbath, everyone. Thank you for, for having us today. Uh, I have to say, Bonnie and um, Cole's words are way too kind. Um, really just a regular guy. Uh, but, you know, he was a part of my upbringing. If you notice, he said he watched me grow, and he paused, and he said spiritually, because he didn't see any other growth, because I've not grown since. Uh, but, you know, it's it's been a blessing being at that church, uh, and with his uh, his leadership, he was held ed head elder there, and Bonnie was, I think, Sabbath school superintendent, so they were foundations of that church, and they helped, you know, mentor a lot of us, so we're appreciative of that. Uh, I'm in no way a pastor or, or preacher. This is actually the very first time I've taken a pulpit exclusively on a Sabbath to give the message. Um, this, so this is my very first time. So um, you, 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 uh, you help to evaluate my, my first time, okay? All right. So uh, that being said, um, I'm not going to preach. I'm not going to raise my voice in in any way. Uh, I'm just going to talk and just talk about stories in the Bible that we're we're familiar with. And we're going to read um, just a few passages. But before we begin, uh, let's have a word of prayer and invite the Holy Spirit. Dear Holy Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this great blessing to be in your house, uh, in this beautiful community, in this beautiful church. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity for you to, to use me to, to share your word. Lord, um, just a person, but through me, Lord, I pray that these words that you have will um, touch us in some particular way, uh, including myself. Thank you, Lord, for your presence that we recognize here, and we know that um, we won't leave here the same because wherever you are, Lord, you create change in us. Thank you for this time. As we ask in Jesus' name, amen. So the, the, the title, just a little correction, it is um, Lost or Just Misplaced. So it's not July, although it could be July. It is July. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, don't worry about it. Uh, so, yeah, Lost or Just Misplaced. And there's a story I I heard many years ago, and I'll just, just read it to you. You might have heard it before. But it goes like this. As a guitarist, I played many gigs. Recently, I was asked by a funeral director to play at a graveside service for a homeless man. He had no family or friends, so the service was to be at a pauper cemetery in the backcountry, and they call those the potter's field. As I was not familiar with the backwoods, I got lost. I finally arrived an hour late and saw the funeral guy had evidently gone, and the hearse was nowhere in sight. Then there were only the diggers and crew left, and they were eating lunch. I felt badly and apologized to the men for being late. I went to the side of the grave and looked down, and the vault lid was already in place. I didn't know what else to do, so I started to play. The workers put down their lunches and began to gather around. I played out my heart and soul for this man who had no family and friends. I played like I've never played before for this homeless man. As I played Amazing Grace, the workers began to weep. They wept, I wept, we all wept together. When I finished, I packed up my guitar and started for the car. Though my head hung low, my heart was full. 
As I opened the door to my car, I heard one of the workers say, I've never seen nothing like this, and I've been putting in septic tanks for 20 years. Apparently, I was still lost. So, uh, so yes, he, 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 he was not at the gravesite. We all have that experience of, 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 of being lost. Uh, you know, we use the word lost many times. Uh, we, we lose things. Sometimes we lose things uh, knowingly, sometimes unknowingly. Sometimes things are just misplaced. We put it down and it's, and it's gone, um, but, but we lose things. There was this parent who enrolled her child uh, in school and she asked the teacher special instructions, can you please pay attention to my child, my young child? The teacher said, why? My child, my daughter, you see, she's a loser. I was like, oh, that's a sad thing to say about your daughter. But she's like, no, she loses everything I give to her, her jacket, her books, everything. So just please pay attention to her because she's a loser. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're a born loser, right? Uh, we've used, used that term, but uh, she just thought of it a different way. Now, um, people get lost, especially men who don't want to ask for, for directions. Do we have that problem here? No, I ask for directions. I don't like to waste time being lost. But I remember, you know, Bonnie asked that I share a Jamaican story. Uh, I'll share one with you. But I remember I was very young, maybe eight, six to eight, very young, and we had to go visit some somebody's house, which felt like days away, but it was really just a couple hours, and we had to walk there, and the you know, it was hot and I was tired and hungry. And when we got to the house, they gave us all this, all these heavy packages to take back home. So I got frustrated after walking so much and to realize I have to walk back with all these packages and I got upset. And I was with my, my siblings and my cousins. So I started to throw a fit. And I was like, no, this is too hot, too sweaty. Apparently I was the only one who was walking long distances and being hot and sweaty for some reason, even though I was with them the whole time. But uh, I threw a fit, and on the way back, they were arguing with me, telling me to carry something, and I didn't want to. So I got upset, and I ran away. And I, I said, I'm going to just run home. But on the way there, I didn't pay attention to the way, and it was like in the woods, uh, really, really back country. Uh, there were just these little switchbacks. I had no idea where I was. Uh, there was no houses in sight. They say these places are so far that it's way behind God's back. Not even God knows where things are over there. Uh, so I got lost. I got lost. I started going up and down the little track trying to find where I missed my turn. And, and there I know from a young age that God listens to children's prayers. And I cried and I prayed that God would help me find my way back. And Sure enough, not uh, shortly after I finished praying, still crying, you know, I heard voices in the distance around the corner, and there it was, my, my siblings and my cousins. And I was so happy. I ran to them, and, you know, I was so happy. But I still had a little bit of pride. So I'm like, hey, what took you guys so long? I've been waiting out here forever for you guys. And uh, But deep down, I was grateful that that God helped me to find my way. But... It's tough being lost. And I guess I ask the question for you is, 
at what point do you realize, at what point does being lost happens? Is it when you realize it? Or did it happen a long time ago before you realized it? Okay, so we'll, we'll look at um, a well-known story in the Bible, Luke chapter 15, and maybe think about the concept of being lost, the way how Jesus puts it. Uh, God, in many ways, uh, he's a good, gracious God. But even he sometimes falls under the category, the term I'm going to use carefully, um, loser. He's lost people over the years. You know, you have probably known someone who's been in the church, which was somebody that, got, that was in God's presence and was lost. And Jesus uses these stories to bring out that concept. It's Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. We're going to spend a lot of time in this passage right here. Uh, and Craig didn't give me a time, so I'm going to, I don't know how much time I actually do have. And I'm not used to talking uninterrupted, so we'll see. So Luke. Okay, whatever time I need. Okay, so just before the food gets cold. All right. Uh, Luke chapter 15, 1 to 7. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him, Christ, and to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So Christ spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after the one which, which was lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. So here we see this, the, the story of Christ, the good shepherd. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's, I think it's unusual that the Bible uses us as sheep sometimes who are lost and Christ as the lamb, uh, you know, but we take the, the lesser description of the sheep, the ones who's wandering, being lost, and Christ, you know, they show him as um, the one who's humble and sacrificial. But here we see Christ as the, the good shepherd. And Jesus is the, the, the shepherd, we are the sheep. In the book of um, Christ's Object Lessons, uh, there's a quote that um, Mrs. White says, The sheep that has strayed from the fold is the most helpless of all creatures. It must be sought for by the shepherd. For if it cannot find its way back, so with the soul that has wandered away from God, he is as helpless as a lost sheep. And unless divine love had come to his rescue, he could never find his way to God. If the lost sheep is not brought back to the fold, it, wan it wanders, wanders until it perishes or dies. And that, is, that was really kind of touching for me to hear, that if the sheep in the story disappears, 
someone has to go and get that sheep. It will not wander back to the fold. And it's important that Christ goes and gets this, this sheep. And you see how involved Christ is with this process. He leaves the 99, he heads out there, and not only does he find the sheep, he doesn't scold it for, for wandering away, but he picks it up and he puts it on his shoulders and he walks back home with that sheep. And not only does he end there, you know what he does? Christ pays special attention to that sheep because that sheep has the challenge of wandering. So maybe in the future, Christ pays special attention to that sheep. And the story, thankfully, does not have, it's, it's not a failure. Christ was successful in this journey. He brought the sheep back and there was rejoicing. So while Christ did majority of the seeking, the sheep had to do one thing. And the sheep had to cry. Uh, Spirit of Prophecy says the faint cry of the sheep was what? the shepherd heard to draw him back. And we think about, you know, you, there, there are many empty pews here, and this, it's, not, it's not uncommon for churches, Adventist churches, to have empty pews. But it's a reality that this is God's fold. This is the 90 and 9, maybe not literally, but this is the 90 and 9 that are here, and there's a sheep. There's someone that you probably know that sat somewhere that is no longer sitting beside you, that is not no longer sitting behind you. And if we wanted to do what Christ did, we would have to go and find them. We would have to reach out. So that, that person has the cry. We don't hear it really because we can't really hear it while we're in church. The cry is out there for that person. That's where that person is crying. So we have to make that decision to reach out. And um, and I'm talking for myself, for my church, and, and all churches, that we make that effort to reach out like Christ did. Whether it's a, a phone call, just somebody within the next few weeks. Think of one person that you know that is no longer here or in God's fold in general that you would want to make that that call to. There's, uh, there's also uh, another point to this, this one sheep. It is our world. Our world was that one world out of all the worlds that God created that fell away, that got lost. And Christ made that decision to leave the comfort of his home to come and get us here on earth, this one sheep that was lost. Uh, and it says... While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So it wasn't when we were better or looking to find Christ that he came for us. It was while we were out there, not caring, not wanting to come back. Okay, moving on to uh, the last coin, verses 8 to 9. And it says, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. And this one, this number one keeps repeating itself because 
One is the smallest fully unit there is. So that means it tells us no matter how insignificant we think that figure is, it is very important. And this woman thought it was important to, to find it. Uh, I guess I have a mathematical question for you. Uh, if you had a million dollars and you lost a penny, I don't know if you had a million pennies, um, it wouldn't be a million pennies, sorry. But uh, if you had a million dollars and you lost a penny, is that still a million dollars? No, technically not, yeah. But I would still take the rest of it, right? Uh, but you wouldn't be considered a millionaire. Same thing applies for a billion dollars. That's a bigger number. So one penny missing, is that still a billion dollars? Right. Let's use something a little bit more realistic to us. Uh, I mean, anybody pick up picks up pennies? I don't, I, I, that's good, yeah. I learned the hard way that it's probably good to pick up pennies. Um, I went to a fast food place, maybe it's Burger King or something, and uh, many years ago, and I went to buy a meal, and I counted out my money to the cashier, and I was short one penny, and I told the cashier with optimism, can I owe you a penny? Because everybody does that, right? She told me no, that you need a penny. I'm like, but I'm almost there. She said, no, you need a penny. So what I did for the first time, I'm anxiously looking for a penny on the ground. There's got to be one here. I see them all the time. There's got to be one here. No, there wasn't. So I told her, I'd be back. It was a meal. I really wanted the drink. I really wanted the burger. And I really wanted the fries. So I didn't want to give up one of those and pay less to, to, to get just one. So I was like, there's got to be a penny in my car. Went to my car. Not even a penny there. And... Uh, I was too prideful to go back inside and talk to this person again or reduce my order. So I left, drove across town, bought something else, but one penny put a stop to my entire, dev my, my hunger, uh, uh, one penny stopped me from satisfying my hunger. So in God's eyes, no one person is, is insignificant. And with these coins, uh, the coin, other than the sheep, the coin couldn't cry. Uh, but the coin had something that was responsive, that helped with the, the finding process. And when she lit the lamp, it was important that she lit it because it was the flicker of the coin in the dirt, in the dust, that caught her attention for her to find it. And this coin was found inside, was lost inside the house inside God's church. Uh, not out there where it's more obvious, but inside, sitting among the pews, there is this coin that is detached from the rest that is hidden, and is only a keen eye can recognize that coin. So among our, our church, this church, my church, any church, there's probably someone there who is inside, but not really. Maybe they're actually in the dirt, hidden there in the rubble but it's for us to have that keen eye to investigate and see, are all my coins in place, in together, in sync uh, with what God uh, has planned? So that's my, net, my other admonition for us is, is there a coin that's missing among us that needs, we need to see that flicker of light, we need to 
reaccept the value that was originally placed on this coin and seek it out. Uh, now moving on to verses 11, and we could read to verse 19. Then God, then Jesus said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of the goods that falls to me. And he divided to them his livelihood. Not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and journeyed to a far country, and there wasted all his possessions with prodigal living. And when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of the country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine, and he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. So this son, this, this, this prodigal son, we, we've heard him, I've, I'm sure, uh, squandered all the blessings that God has given to him. He didn't recognize the, the value of it when God would disperse, his, disperse it. He thought he had uh, better knowledge of how to spend his, his possessions. And he went out into the world and he squandered it with, with his friends. And for a Jewish, Jewish boy, not only was um, you know, his, his, his livelihood squandered and he's living in the state, he was hanging out with pigs. So that was very, uh, you know, that was an unholy situation. Uh, it was unclean for him to be with pigs. So he's in the worst possible state. And then it strikes him that, man, this, this life is actually horrible. And he thinks about home, and he thinks about how much better it is to be at home. And he needs to make that journey home. And I think about the people who have left or, or church. Believe it or not, no one is out there having fun. It might seem like it. They may have it for a little while, uh, seemingly. But no one is out there really having fun. Home is only the only place where it's safe enough. The only place where, uh, you know, God has really got us covered. You know, the devil, he convinces us the world is the world is fun and is satisfying, but the devil leaves us empty and uh, wounded, and he 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 cannot be bargained with. He doesn't have sympathy, anything like that. He he uses us until he gets what he wants, and then he spits us out. And who picks up this this pieces? Christ does. Like in our Sabbath school this morning, we talked about Hosea's wife. It was the same person that she cheated on and did all these things was the same one that picked her up when she was in her mess and brought her back home. So he, he, made, he thought of home and he made this decision to go back home. Now on his way home, verse 20, and he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven in, and in your sight, 
and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive, he was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. So it's rejoicing. The Bible mentions this multiple times. Rejoicing in the first story, rejoicing, and this one being merry, uh, making merry. So there is joy over someone who comes back, right? Uh, so they're rejoicing. And this, this son, uh, even though he was the one that seemingly made the decision to come back home, what do you think was in his mind that make him that helped him to make that decision uh the spirit of prophecy says in um christ object lessons the love of god still yearns over the one who has been chosen to separate from him and he sets in order operations influences to bring him back to his father's house the the prodigal son in his wretchedness came to himself miserable as he was the prodigal son found hope in the conviction of his father's love. It was that love which was drawing him toward home. Amen. Yes. So for, for someone out there who have left the fold, what was the last impression that they had of home, of the fold, of church when they left? Was it welcoming? Was it inviting? Was there love there that even if they made a decision based on whatever reason it was, to find themselves back home. Is there anything in our home church that's going to prevent them from coming home? Is there someone that gave them a hard time that they're saying, no, they don't want me back? As, as she says it right here, it was the conviction of his father's love. So when we understand God's love and how much he cares, no matter our state, we'll make that journey home. And as much as he thought he was making the journey all the way back, as we see here, the father saw him afar off. God is always making that effort to win his children back home. Yeah. Even though we think we're doing it, we're doing the cry, we're doing the ref reflection, we're doing the walk home. God is always doing the bigger picture. It says, working in the background, convicting, bringing to our minds the memories of how good it was back home. Uh, it says here in Romans 2, verse 4, the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. So it's not so much sorry for sin, but it's like knowing how good God is, that that's what brings us to repentance. Jeremiah 31, verse 3, I have loved thee with an everlasting love, therefore with loving kindness I have drawn thee. So we should not wait to come to God, to clean up, to fix up. Uh, that's one of the biggest deceptions the devil gives us, like, you're not ready to go back. You need to get over this habit. You need to clean up. You need to put on uh, some really nice clothes. I don't normally dress this nice. Um, uh, before you can come back to God. But as the story points out, God is going to put on the robe, the sandals, the ring. He's going to feed us. He's got everything ready for us. We just have to make that decision to come home. So, um, so this 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 message, it's 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 nice to to hear, but the the unfortunate thing is, 
the people who need to hear it the most are probably not sitting here. They're out there needing that assurance that God loves them, need that assurance that the church is there to win them back. Uh, but just like with the lost coin, maybe we should remember these stories because there's going to be a time, gonna, there might be times we feel like this is no longer home for me. I need to find my way somewhere else. I need to find my way uh, without God. And, and we should always remember it's not our works or how good we are, but it's the goodness of God that should lead us back. Because the lost coin, the wandering sheep, they were amongst us at one point. They sat here, but something changes and they're gone. And none of us are exclusively safe from um, being drawn out into the world. Now, uh, there's another uh, person here, the, the elder son. Let's go to 25. Now, the older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house and heard the music and dancing. He called his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed a fatted calf. But the older son was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I may make merry with my friends. But as soon as... This, this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, and killed, you have killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive and was lost and is found. So as much as it doesn't seem like this, this is also another person that was lost. Uh, and he is probably in the most dangerous state because he probably thinks he was saved. He's been doing all the right things. Whenever we start listing all that we've done for God or we've done for the church, we're probably at risk of thinking that if we're not appreciated enough, if you know that maybe God doesn't care or maybe people don't care about all that we've done. So he was in a in a more trying state, but the same concept still happens. The father went out there to meet him. He didn't want to come inside the house where the celebration was. The father had to go and meet him. So in all these, you still see Jesus doing most of the work to, to win us back. And the father assures him that, um, you know, that it's important that we welcome those who have been lost. And the story is left kind of open-ended. There's no response from the elder son. Did he accept this explanation? Was he still uh, was he still very upset? And the story was for the Pharisees who were there. They didn't accept sinners. They didn't want Gentiles to come into the fold of God. Uh, they, um, you know, they resisted anyone who wasn't a Jew. So it's kind of left open. You know, what, what is your response to someone who has found their way back, who looks messy, who, who we might think in our mind, oh, they're probably just here for now. They might get drawn back out uh, into the world with their habits. But are we like 
this father like God who welcomes back with open arms and celebrates. Uh, so this elder son, uh, he actually, it's not actual, but he, the story does have an outcome for this elder son, a response that he did. And this is way back in Genesis chapter 33. Genesis chapter 33, this elder brother had a response because there was a younger son who left home, who took his father's blessings, fled, uh, did, you know, got into a lot of trouble out there in the world and realized that he needs to find his way back home. But he was afraid of going home because he didn't know the reception that he was gonna get. He didn't know if there was still love back at home. But he pressed on to go home fear with, in fear of his older brother wondering if he's going to accept him. And in Genesis 33, verses 1 to 4, it says, Now Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and there Esau was coming with him, 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two maidservants, and he put the maidservants and their children in front, Leah and her children behind, and Rachel and Joseph last. Then he crossed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him, embraced him, and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. So just like how the father and the prodigal son went halfway to meet, um, you know, his son that was lost, here also Esau, the older brother, who had all reasons to be upset, God spoke to his heart, and he came and met his brother halfway and welcomed him back home, despite all the things that he's done to, you know, disrupt the family name. You know, he welcomed him back. And that's what God wants us to do, to not only welcome them back when they come through the doors, but before they even make it through the doors, they should be there. There should be open arms ready for them. So... So these are scenarios of people who are lost, and we're going to be um, closing up. Some knew they were lost. Some didn't know, recognize they were lost. But all of us at some point uh, were lost and is found. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. I once was lost, but now I'm found. We all had to make that decision to accept Christ's open arms. One pastor said, uh, my my, you know, we, we think we're like we're born born in the church. Some of you might have been born in the church, but we're not born converted. This pastor said in front of his daughter, "Yeah, um, I pray the Lord will convert my daughter's heart because she's a heathen." And everybody was shocked. He said, "Yeah, she's not born converted. She has to make that decision at some point to follow Christ." And sometimes we take for granted that once the young child is in church, that's the decision they're making, but that's not really the case. And we figure that out when they become teenagers and, and, and they leave. So we should never take for granted that because they're here, they're converted. So I guess my question for us is, are, are we lost? Do we, do we know if we're lost? Did God lose us or misplace us? Uh, you know, God took care of us, but something happened along the way and, and 
we lost our way. It wasn't something that God did. It wasn't um, carelessness on God's part, but God gives us choices and and we made that decision. Are, are we ready for Christ to, to bring us home? Are we ready for Christ to welcome us back? How do we know that we're not lost? The Adventist message for a while has always been, get ready, get ready, Jesus is coming. And then a few years, many years later, it says, stay ready. You should already be ready. Stay ready. And then in this climate, people are less anxious about Jesus coming than they used to. Now we're planning years in the future. We're going to build this big building. But are we ready for Christ to come? And how can we know that we're not lost? But I hope this story, these stories remind us, it's not how good we feel about if Christ comes or not are is am I, am I going to be saved uh you know we ask the questions every time like if christ came today will i be saved who here can say yes maybe we maybe we don't know maybe we're fearful but if the story is any indication we are saved not because we feel ready but because christ is doing something for us christ is the one who's making all the preparation and as all we have to do is to make that cry, make that journey home, and Christ does the saving. Because at the end of the day, Christ wants us to be saved more than we want to be saved. And we shouldn't think that it's, oh, I have this checklist that I need to get to to be saved. There's no checklist. We need to accept Christ when Christ says, come as you are. He takes us in our sinful state, and he makes us as new. So that's my message for today. Thank you for, for hearing. I don't know if, um, do I pray now or after? Okay, all right. So let's bow our heads for a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for uh, this these words that we've read so many times. We thank you, Lord, that in these we see your goodness, your love, and how much you, you want to meet us um, halfway even all the way, you want to take us from where we're stranded, where we're bombarded by the world, where we're distracted. Lord, you want to save us. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot be good enough. We cannot obey the laws enough. We need to accept Christ and through the goodness and through the love of Christ, that only that we can be saved. So thank you for um, the assurance of salvation that you give us as long as we're willing to be led to be used by you, and to obey your commands. Thank you for your blessings. Bless this church and bless those who we long to welcome back into our fold. In Jesus' name, amen.